Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 35. When we started making these transitions and I said, I want to take farming seriously, I, I needed to make money. I needed to, it to be economical. And I You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardy. On today's show, we have Becky Zarzinski, a Mountain Glen farm. Becky and her dad, Glenn, raised South Pole cattle. But before we get to Becky, I need you to do me a favor. Go to grazinggrass.com and sign up for our email list. We're busy working to improve the website and make it more useful for the community. And we will be pushing out those updates to our email list first. Let's talk to Becky. Becky, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited to have you on today. Thanks, Cal. Thanks for having me on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? So my name is Becky Zarzinski, and my father, Glenn, and I uh, own and operate Mountain Glen Farm, which is located in the southernmost part of the Shenandoah Valley here in Virginia. We currently... Um, have about 325 open acres that we are grazing on three separate farms. All three farms are about four to five mile radius of each other. So they're all fairly close, but they're all three separate farms. And we focus, we're a cow-calf operation, and we focus on grass-based um, genetics, currently utilizing the South Pole grass cattle breed. And uh, yeah, we, we sell steers in the fall time and we sell... Uh, seed stock registered and non-registered South Pole heifers throughout the year. Very good. Let's jump back a little bit on your journey. So has your dad had this farm your whole life? Well, we had one of them. So my, oh, home, okay. place, yeah, my home place, which is uh, 180 acres that I was uh, grew up on as a little girl, my Parents both had off the farm jobs and had about 20 head of cattle so that they could maintain this uh, 180 acre farm. And so I kind of grew up kind of a tomboy, was always outside helping dad with farm chores. Um, we had other animals as well, um, but it was more, I'd hate to say it's not really a hobby farm, but it if the farm paid its way that year, they, we were doing good. <laughs> oh, so yes. um, it was more or less just because my dad grew up um, on small farms, uh, growing up in Illinois that he just wanted to continue that and, and raise a family on a farm. So that's kind of where my farm journey started. And then I went away to college and a week in, I said, mom, dad, I'm coming home. I hate college. This is not working for me. <laughs> and they said, Nope, that's not an option. And so I stuck it out for another year and a half. And finally, I think I wore them down enough that I said, I'm coming home. And they're like, okay, so what are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna farm. And they were like, absolutely not. That's, <laughs> you're not gonna make a living. There's no money in farming. It's hard work. It's just, you know, they're like, just get a degree and then you can do whatever you want. And of course I was 19 and I was like, no, I know better. <laughs> so right. I ended up coming home and uh, got multiple part-time jobs, but also started to farm. So. I knew I wanted to do farming and I wanted to make it my livelihood and my career. I just didn't really know 
what kind of farming I wanted to do because what we were doing just wasn't working as in it wasn't paying the bills and it really kind of wasn't exactly what I wanted to do with it. We had, you know, a bunch of Angus cross cows and um, we would do the chemical fertilizers on the field and we would do the hormones and the calves and, and all that. And I was just like, yeah, you know, it's fine, but it's just not what I wanted to do. So I started doing a lot of research into different farming styles and practices. And at that time, um, regenerative farming really wasn't a buzzword, but the sustainable agriculture was becoming really popular. So I started researching all that and I started going to workshops and conferences to learn more about this type of farming. And there's one in particular that really turned, uh, kind of pivoted us at, at that point. And we went, my father and I both went to a one day conference in a town near us. And um, the guy was gonna be talking, he was from Missouri and he was gonna be talking about how to make a living grass farming. And I was like, oh, that sounds intriguing. You know, I've got cows, I've got grass. I want to make right. a living. Tell me more. And um, so I don't know if you folks know of him or not. Greg Judy was the speaker. <laughs> and at that time, I didn't know anything about him. And I don't think he had quite the following he has now. It was about 14 years ago. And uh, by the end of that presentation, my father and I had light bulbs going off all over the place. And we're like, we want to try to do more intensive rotational grazing. Um, we want to try to kind of get rid of the chemical fertilizers. We want to do away with the hormones. We want to kind of do a little bit of more of a natural process, um, utilizing our, our animals on, on the pasture. And uh, that's what we started doing. We went out and bought a bunch of polywire and stepping posts and just started dividing our farm up at that point. And um, yeah, and that was, like I said, 14 years ago. And since then, we've been able to purchase two more farms utilizing those same practices and we've set every farm up to more easily uh, rotate on our farms we put in subdivision fences we put in uh, water sources all throughout the farms uh, fenced out the creeks we have transitioned to the south pole breed which is a big factor i think in helping us achieve what we've been able to and we've also established native warm season grasses we've got big blue little blue on indian grass we also have established cool season perennial crops that we graze on our farm as well. So we've kind of just, we kind of just jumped in and started and it's been pretty good so far. I'm pretty happy with it. Very good. You, you covered a lot right there. Let's dive into some of that. <laughs> Let's jump back to the first thing. I think you said you, you all got back from this one day conference and you went and got polywire and started moving cows. Yes. Just, Tell us a little bit how that start went. So again, at that time, we only had the one farm, my home place, and there was the water sources tend to be the biggest factor when you start rotating. Um, you need to be able to have a water source that you can kind of rotate around. And we had two water sources on that, um, that farm. And so we simply just started rotating whatever was easiest at the time. Um, we went and got a, a fence charger and then got some polywire and some step in posts and we just started putting in these fences we really didn't have any idea what we were doing we just we just jumped in and started but after making a rotation or two we kind of were like okay we kind of get in the feel of how big of paddocks we need to give what the cows are going to really you know hammer when they're in that field or not touch at this time of year and then as we continued to do that for the next year or two we started noticing certain fences kept going in the same spot so then we put in permanent temporary fences that 
subdivided it, and then we used the poly wire to divide it even further. And then uh, once we decided that, ah, I think we're going to keep doing this rotation, um, you know, every day, it was every, every other day, um, sometimes a couple times a day, depending on how excited I get <laughs> with moving cows. <laughs> but um, then we went into, we talked to the NRCS folks and they helped us put in a couple more water systems, which was a big help for utilizing the entire farm at that point. So that's kind of how we jumped in and started. It was we kind of had the vague idea of what it was, but until you start doing it, you really just don't understand. So just, I'd say just jump in and start doing it and see what happens. I, I think that's an excellent point you bring up that's, that's been echoed throughout the episodes, just get started. Whatever you're doing, try something and try it for a while and you'll start figuring it out. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So you put in the, the poly wires start and then you came back with some, divisional fences did you put in electric divisional fences high tensile wire or what kind of fences did you put in for your sub or your paddock? we're putting in uh two high tensile strands electrified as our temporary permanent um and then dividing off of those even further there was woven wire kind of was around the perimeters oh, yes. um and on some of that farm and uh, and then as we purchased the other two farms, as years went by, um, we would do most of our divisions with woven wire. But there's always uh, down the center of all these farms, there's a hot wire that branches out into the subdivision fence as well. So we can kind of divide further on with our poly wire and step and post however we see fit. About how big are your pastures you have now that you divide up further with the poly wire? So they, they vary between probably five and 10 acres, depending on which, well, even some of them are up to 20, um, but most of them are about five to 10 acres. And then we divide them even further, depending on what cattle group we have, how many cows we have, what time of year it is, what's the weather like, all that good stuff. And one thing, you, you mentioned three farms. Are you moving cattle between farms or you manage them as three different farms? They're managed as three separate farms. Um, I wish they could all be close enough that we could manage them together, right. but they're just a little too far apart to, to do that. So currently we manage them all separately and they all are a little different forage type wise. Um, and we kind of cater the most productive and diverse farm to our younger cows and our yearling group. And then the more fescue based farms, um, our older cows are, are planted and living on those. So they kind of have to fend for themselves on that. <laughs> so yes. that's kind of how we're doing it. So on those forages, um, on your different farms, what do you have there? And did you plan any of it or is it just through management? On two of the farms currently, it's just native. And I'm going to say native with air quotes, um, because it's mostly Kentucky 31, which oh, is yes. not native. Um, but it's that plant that I think we all have a love hate relationship with and, uh, cause it makes great winter stockpile. So we love it for that. Um, but we also manage these two farms with our herd as our grazing tool so that we get diversity in there. Um, we want that red clover. We want that white clover. We want that orchard grass to also come up, but we also have all kinds of other little forbs like plantain, chicory, curly dock that the cows also love. Um, you know, and I remember one time we were letting on one farm, our rest periods were getting way too long and we ended up, um, 
the fescue took out a lot of the clover. And so for a couple years there, we had a, almost predominantly fescue on one of the farms and it was not good. <laughs> so it just goes to show that, you know, you need to change things up a little bit. You know, some folks are like, oh, we want 60 day rest cycles or better or less. But we always try to change it up because we want to keep that diversity going. That's really what um, I think is key for having a very successful grass-based operations diversity. Yes, I, I agree completely. So did you plan anything? I'm sorry if you said that and I missed yeah. it. So on the third farm, we did, uh, when we purchased it five years ago, there was a uh, 40 acres of old crop ground that had been planted in corn and other crops for about 40 years or so. Oh, okay. So we had this 40 acres and we we're like, what are we going to do with it if we don't crop farm? And so we ended up planting half of it um, in this cool season perennial mix that has eight different things. It's got orchard grass. It's got, um, I don't think it's novel fescue. I think it's just fungus reef fescue. Uh, a couple different clovers, red whites, Timothy, alfalfa, and it's very productive and does really well for us. And then we also had uh, 10 or 12 acres that we devoted to the native warm seasons that we planted. I guess we're about four or five years into that stand as well. Um, and naturally, a bunch of clover and other uh, forbs have come up in that stand as well. So it's the cows love that and um, it gets us through that summer slump time too, which is great. It's amazing what the seed bank has available that'll come up if it's given the opportunity. Absolutely. Really is. Yeah. In Virginia, what is your climate like just to help everyone out that's not familiar with your climate? Uh, so in Virginia, we have, uh, there's a little bit of variety. Um, here in the Shenandoah Valley, we're nestled between the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Alleghenies. And there's this long, very fertile valley that's lots of agriculture in it um and so compared so we're kind of in the mountainous area then you go a little further east it's the piedmont and then there's the coastal plains and so each one kind of is a little different we're about 10 degrees cooler than the piedmont on the other side of the mountain but it still gets pretty hot and humid here um this past week it was in the 90s 95 it was hot it was humid during the winter um, we're at this, we're at the highest point in the Shenandoah Valley. So we're roughly between 18 and 2000 feet where we're located at on our farm. And so we tend to get more snow than the rest of the valley, which is fine. I guess it's pretty, but, um, it can be, we can have some cold winters and they, they tend to be wet though. And the last couple of winters have been cool and wet, which I think is harder on the animals than just snow. In February, it can be snowing one day and the next it'll be 60 or 70 degrees. So <laughs> it can be all over the place. Oh, yes. How much is your annual rainfall in your area? Uh, that's a great question. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's like either 50 or 60 inches. Oh, okay. So we get, we usually get pretty good rainfall, except um, we've had some droughty years in the past that were pretty hard but the last few years knock on wood have been pretty good with precipitation are you getting any rain right now because we have just been hammered with rain and i assume it's moving east yeah so earlier today um i was on a conference call with someone else and i had to 
turn mute myself because it was raining so hard that people were like, <laughs> what's that background noise? And I'm like, it's me. It, I think it rained an inch in an hour. So we got, it had been dry for the last week or two um, and very hot. So we needed the rain, but we got, we got about an inch today and should get a little more tonight, but then it's looking like it's going to dry up again. Oh, yes. Well, I thought maybe you'd even gotten even more. We, in the last week, we've gotten double digits. Wow. 11, 12 inches. Wow. And that is a ton of runoff. In fact, going to work today, I had to turn around because one of the roads was flooded oh and I had to go a different way. That's crazy. It's just a little crazy right yeah. now. Yeah. That We'll get rains at the end of June occasionally, mm -hmm. but never anything like this. It's just been really unique. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned your winners, so, and you're able to stockpile fescue for your winners pretty good. How does that go for you? How's that working? Yeah, so uh, come September, we start stockpiling certain fields to utilize in the winter months. Uh, one, one practice that we do on our farm that might be a little unique is instead of starting on that fescue stockpile um, at the beginning of winter, we we start on the stockpile, but we also supplement hay at the same time. So the second we start feeding hay, we're also feeding stockpile. We want to carry our stockpile as far into the winter as possible. We don't want to feed it all up first and then go switch to hay. We think yes. utilizing hay and that stockpile at the same time really carries our cattle very well through the winter. And I will say some of the older cows will definitely even be sometimes a little fat coming out of winter. Um, utilizing that stockpile and hay. So uh, it works very well. If we have a wet winter, some of that orchard grass and clover obviously starts to get kind of mushy and disintegrates. And so come February, it's really not, you know, utilized very well because there's really not much left. But the, the fescue itself usually holds up very well. Very good. Are you unrolling your bells of hay like Greg Judy preaches about? Or are you doing bell grazing? Or how are you feeding your hay? We do a little of everything, honestly. Um, we are always trying new things. I think, uh, you know, sometimes we unroll them if we're in a pasture, because we don't have a bale truck. And if we can unroll them off of a hill, we do. Some this pasture, I did a, a five acre bale grazing experiment on one of the farms because I wanted to give it a try. I had been out to a farm in Kentucky the following the past winter and where he was discussing bale grazing and I was like I want to give this a try and there was a field that was pretty awful and it was full of weeds and had a low pH and I was like yeah, I can't I can't wreck this any worse than it already is so I gave that a try and it was it went phenomenal I didn't have to have a tractor out there for 20 some days and all I had to go oh, yes. you know move a fence in five minutes and it was awesome um, but we also use ground rings sometimes depending on what we're doing in what group and where we're at and how wet it is and all this stuff. So we try to stay um, very versatile. We don't try to get into too many, you know, ruts. If something works, of course, we'll keep, you know, utilizing that practice. But we always like to see what other things we can do. Which I think is great. And and I have to completely agree. If someone asked me how I fed, hey, it kind of depends on where I have the cows, what my goals are with that with the hay residue left sometimes i have ditches to fill up sometimes i've got bare patches that's sometimes right. i just want to improve as much area as possible that's right so yes absolutely 
when you started, when you talked to or heard from Greg Judy at this conference and you started with your polywire, you were working with Angus cows. Yes. Did you start changing the breeding then or did you continue with Angus for a while? Yeah, so when I when we were at that conference and listened to Greg and we were watching his slide presentations and we went up to him after the conference and we said, Greg, what kind of cows are those? What are those beautiful red cows? <laughs> and he said, they're, they're a South Pole. And we were like, never heard of them before. And uh, so he told us a little bit about them and we went back home and, and did our own research on the South Pole breed. When we started making these transitions, and I said, I want to take farming seriously. I, I needed to make money. I needed to, it to be economical. And I feel like this breed has been a key in, in helping us accomplish that. And so how we first started was 14 years ago after we were like, okay, we're going to give this breed a try. We we're transitioning our farm anyways. Let's transition to a different breed. Let's just do it all at once. <laughs> and right. um, we found a producer in North Carolina who are good friends with now, Mike Harris in North Carolina, and he had a bull for sale. And so we simply went out and got this young bull. I think he was 18 months at the time. And we just put him in with our run of the mill Angus. And um, the next year, those calves, we were just really impressed with how much of a difference we saw with the calves. They make a great hybrid. And um, at that point, we were like, okay, we need some, we need some females of this breed. And we started going out and buying females and we've been breeding up and we've buying purebreds and full bloods and all that since. But um, yeah, it's, it's just done really well for us on our, on our farm. Very good. Now you mentioned a little bit about your management of your, your cattle earlier and that you're, you're not doing feed. Um, you're doing grass based. When are you calving? How are you marketing your calves? So we have played around with the calving season. Um, everyone, I think, has their own time of year and time frame that they like. And for us, what works has been working the best is we start calving March 1st. Um, this year, we started calving March 1st. We ended April 30th. So we had all of our calves on the ground in two months, which is the first year we've actually accomplished that. That's been a goal that we've been oh, trying yeah. to accomplish, and, and we finally made it happen this year. Um, because we just want to get it done, get it over with. Um, and we feel like that time of year has worked the best for us. And that way we have a supplier who wants wean steers. He wants them in, uh, late November, early December. So, you know, for us to calve at that time and be able oh, to yeah. wean and have them ready. Cause we have to have them wean for 40 days and, and all that good stuff. It, that timing works out very well for us. And we sell all of our steer calves to a farm who then uh, raises them for grass-fed beef and direct markets all of his animals that way. So he's looking for um, animals that are efficient on forage. He's looking for weaned animals. He's looking for animals that are um, polyfence trained. And then for our heifers, we will sometimes sell weaned heifers. Sometimes we'll sell them as yearlings. Sometimes we'll sell bred heifers. <laughs> so we kind of just do a little bit of everything with the heifers depending on what we're what we're doing at a certain time of year um but the heifers are a pretty hot topic uh hot item at the moment so we don't have any problems selling those i can't imagine that because i've looked for some south pole heifers and i found just a few head but they're hard to find i think yeah they, they right now they are hard to find um but i think it's just 
um, I think so many people are starting to see what they can do for them on their farming operations and folks are really just really wanting these genetics on their farm and it's a good, good and bad problem, I guess. <laughs> As you uh, transitioned your, your farm and continue on, what have been some challenges you've ran into? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I feel, I feel like everything's kind of been a challenge at some point. Um, <laughs> I think farming can be a challenge, uh, but finding the genetics, whatever, whether they be cattle or goats or sheep or pig, whatever, whatever breed, I'm not even just talking about South Pole, but whatever breed, finding the genetics that actually work for you on your farm, not just just say, you know, I have got South Pole, but I've also been selective with those South Pole genetics that actually excel and thrive on my individual farm with my type of forage base that I have. That's been challenging, but I feel like that's also a, a lifelong goal that we have to have as probably all farmers. You never get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm done. I got the perfect animal. All my animals are perfect and I'm done. No, you always have to work on that. Um, so that's been challenging, fun, challenging. It gives you something to, to look forward to every year and see what you can tweak. Um, I think for me, I'm still in this mindset of, I want my, my farm forages to be super vegetative and productive all year round, all the time. And to try to get my cattle to graze it in the way that it's always vegetative is, is still hard for me. They like to do that select grazing sometimes. And I'm always like, why can't you just graze it, you know, evenly and make it look uniform? Yes. But at the same time, you know, nature doesn't like uniform all the time either. So there's good pros and cons about that. Um, and you know what? Working with family, you know, I work with my father and uh, my brother comes in every once in a while and helps. Uh, he lives out of state, but uh, can be challenging too. And we're kind of going through like this transition period between he and I at this moment where we're kind of button heads a little bit as well. And, um, but, you know, just coming together and talking about it, I think is the best way for most of these things and, and kind of just, and any challenge working through it, just keep persevering and pushing forward until something does happen. And some of the challenge we push, push through, we actually learn so much and we're like, oh, that really wasn't the mistake we thought it was, it actually turned out really well. And you learned something and you, and you change things on your farm. So that's what, it's just fun. <laughs> that's life. It, it, it is. Where do you see your farm going in the future? Some of my goals for the farm are to keep growing. I know we, we've been purchasing farms and at some point that will stop, <laughs> but um, I hope to get a little bit bigger. I'd like to, I have a number in my head of how many mama cows I'd like to uh, be able to farm with. We used to have sheep, but we did away with those uh, a few years back because we just weren't quite set up um, for that. I would like to bring sheep back at some point. And I had a, a farrowing, um, I was farrowing about 13 or 14 sows a few years ago too. And I did away with those um, at that point as well. And really we're focusing on the cows, but I, I really like my pigs. And I really like the sheep and I'd like to bring those back on the farm as well at some point um, and just get a bigger land mass. I remember as a four-year-old girl, I was like, I want to be a land baron when I grow up. <laughs> and um, I'm nowhere close to being a land baron, but 
I've always wanted to manage a lot of land. And I think managing land for me, whether that be the woods, the forest, the grasslands, um, is very intriguing. And it's always been something very close to my heart. Um, you know, really focusing on our soil health, I think is a, a really big next step. We've always focused on soil health, but um, I think it's becoming a more of a, a mainstream topic these days. And I hope it continues to go that direction because I think all farmers want to see their farms do well and, and soil is really the foundation for it, obviously. And if you don't have healthy soils, you're not gonna have a healthy farm or animals or people or community or water. And it's super important. So I really hope to continue to, to focus on that and try to, I don't like the word advocate, but try to be an advocate for more regenerative farming practices or just be a show farm where I can show other people what I'm doing and say, take a look what I'm doing. If you, if you think it looks cool, you like it, great. If, you're, if that's not for you, that's fine too. But um, I just hope that I can show others, whether they're coming up and are new beginner farmers or young farmers that um, you can, you can do it. You know, it's not easy. It might take some time, but um, you know, if your heart's in it, I think you can, you can accomplish it. Very good. I think those are all worthwhile goals. I wish you luck with all that. Thank you. Becky, it's time for our overgrazing section, where we take a deep dive into one of your practices or something about your farm. And I believe for today, we're going to continue our conversation about South Pole cattle. But the breed itself is fairly new. A lot of people, um, it's starting to gain popularity, but a lot of folks still haven't heard of the breed. And um, so just to give you a quick little background on the breed, um, Teddy Gentry, who is actually a bass player from the band Alabama, is the founder of this breed. He started um, working and developing it about 30 years ago. And he was looking for genetics that could do well on forage only. So conversion of forage to nutrient dense beef. He was looking at um, a moderate frame sized animal because really the best ones on forage are not these huge monster cows because they have to eat so much to maintain their weight plus then wean a good calf. So we wanted a moderate frame size cow, which is, you know, again, nine to 1100 pound cows is what they tend to be. And so he found, he, he started crossing a couple of different breeds. So it's Red Angus, Hereford, Semipole, and Barzona. And so the South Pole is a composite of all four of those. And what he's come out with is a, a, a cow that is docile. She's got, um, you know, good mother ability, good milking ability, is, can wean a five, 550 pound, even bigger than that for some people, um, calves off of her every year. So, you know, 50 to 55, 60% weaning weights off the mama. She can handle these, these hot summers, but she's also adaptable because there's a lot of folks up north that have South Poles. And they, I think they're just, they can kind of adapt to whatever region they're in in the United States, but they're also very fertile and longevity has been bred into them. You know, we've got some cows that are 16, 17 years old that are still out there and turning out calves for us. So, I mean, it's, it's economical and they're very efficient breed, uh, a breed of cattle. And I think for me, 
starting into this breed 14 years ago. And I'll get back to your question after um, I talk about the South Poles, but- Oh, go ahead. Um, you know, because their efficiency out on forage and because we are doing forage only, we don't do any graining at all. And I'm not dissing that practice if people want to do that. But for us, we just, we don't have a need to. We don't need to right. add in another input for us. And uh, so- So the South Pole field day was just other day and I went to, it was my first time to really be around very many South Pole <clears throat> cattle. And I was surprised by how you all had to sell cattle pinned because I've not been to, and maybe it's just because I haven't been to enough sales, but I haven't been to a cell where they were pinned like that. Can you tell us a little bit how they were situated? Yeah. So this past week, the end, the last week of June was the 13th annual South Pole uh, Grass Cattle Field Day and Cattle Auction in Trenton, Tennessee. And, uh, it's always a, a usually a two day event. We have speakers, um, we have pasture walks, group sessions and all that good stuff. And then the last day, last thing we have is our cattle auction. And we usually put out polywire pens um, and it's the field day is usually held on someone's farm. Usually a member, I think every year has been a member of the South Pole Association. Um, I hosted it a couple years ago and uh, we literally just have polywire pens set up I don't know how many we had this year, maybe I don't, eight or eight or 10 pens um, with, I think it was one strand of polywire and each one had a you know water tank and we would throw, you know, heifers um, or bread heifers with a bull. And there was multiple bulls, multiple groups of heifers, multiple cows, and there's cow calves. And they were kind of all grouped together um, and we've always done it that way. As far as I've seen, usually that's kind of how we sort them and put them in pens. Sometimes it's a little different every year, but that's kind of the setup behind it. And because they're a pretty docile breed, I mean, these animals, a lot of them haven't even been around lots of people before. And here they have like 500 people walk through the pens because people get in the pens with them. Um, and, and they all kind of are just sitting there pretty chill, like whatever. <laughs> so it works out really well. Well, that's, that's what I found amazing. First off, just the long, narrow polywire pins, one strand of polywire, have access, a few head per pin, like you mentioned. And that fascinated me there. But secondly, it fascinated me because there was people all over those pins, down there looking at them. There was people talking, people walking between pins, just crossing the wire, and the wire wasn't all that high. Mm -hmm. And... The, the cattle were just so calm. I I came away from there really impressed with how docile those cows are. And like you said, even if they're around people all the time on the farm, they have never been around that many people at one time. It's it's just amazing to me. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of fun to watch. And again, I'll go out there with my camera and I'll get pretty close to some of these animals or I'll take, I had my drone out there and I'm like flying it over all these cows. And I'm like, <laughs> I like, I hope I don't disturb them, but none of them like flinch. They, some of them might look up at the drone and be like, what is she doing? <laughs> but they just, they're all just kind of hanging out, just doing their own thing. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were. If someone wants to find out more about the South Pole breed, where do they go to find out more? Yeah, so the website, the South Pole Grass Cattle Association's website 
is southpole.com. That's southpoll.com. That's the official site. Um, they also have a uh, YouTube channel, South Pole YouTube channel. There's, they're also on Facebook. So there's two pages on Facebook. One is the South Pole Association's Facebook page where it's like the official page where we up to date things on the events or, um, uh, you know, certain people will post little things here and there. And then there's also the Facebook forum. I'm, I'm sorry, the Facebook South Pole forum page where it's a lot of conversation going on. There's uh, lots of questions uh, being asked by people who don't have South Pole, want to get into it or already have South Pole or have questions. And there's being, they're being answered by people who've been in the business for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and have experience with this. But there's just, a, it's, a, it's a great way to connect and get any of your questions answered in a very broad way. So those are, those are kind of the best ways to find out more about South Pole. And um, always, you can always reach out to our charming secretary, Anne. Um, I think it's southpolegrasscattle um, at gmail.com is her email if you uh, have any questions specifically about, about the breed. Very good. Becky, it's time for our famous four questions. They're the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question, what is your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? Ooh, so the one I probably utilize the most lately is YouTube, and that's such a general thing. Like, you could type in rotational grazing, grass farm, you know, South Pole cattle, regenerative agriculture, and come up with all kinds of different videos, which are always very fun to watch what everyone else is doing. Um, but to be more specific, um, an online website that I really enjoy is onpasture.com. It's just such a wealth of so many different articles by so many different people doing all kinds of different things on different lands, different states, different forages, different animal types. And it's, it's just really interesting. They have things about farming practices to like life lessons. So I just, I really love that resource. On pasture is a really good resource. I have to second yeah. that. Uh, jump, jumping back to YouTube, do you have some favorite YouTube channels that would apply to our audience? Um, right now I've been, um, this is kind of a plug in here, but uh, Virginia Forage and Grassland Council has a YouTube channel that has some very uh, cool videos. And I'm saying that because I was the one who made them. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I very good. Because the, the people that I made the videos on said a lot of great things. Uh, doc, uh, Dr. Greg Halich from the University of Kentucky, I did a couple of videos on him and he talks about bale grazing. He was the gentleman I was talking about earlier who um, helped me along my bale grazing experience this past winter. Uh, he says a lot of great things and he also has a video about overstocking and the downward spiral that you can get into. Um, and then Greg Brand has a couple of videos up there and uh, he's really into soil health and adaptive grazing management. Those are a couple of videos and, um, that, on that specific channel that I've been watching. Um, but they also have some other videos on there as well. Um, I know a lot of people love Greg Judy because he just has like quick videos that are like short and sweet and to the point. Um, and you know, there's just, there's so many people you could follow Alan Williams, Gabe Brown, Ray Archuleta, all those guys from the Soil Health Academy. Um, I don't, there's just so many. <laughs> there are, and you gave us a great list there. 
Our second question, what tool could you not live without on your farm? That's another great question. Um, there's so many answers to that. You know, I think probably most people say polywire and seven posts maybe, which I definitely couldn't live without <laughs> or my fence tester, right. cause that's great when you have like a short somewhere and you're walking around for, oh, it is. in the middle of the night, trying to find your short in the fence. Uh, but it probably, probably my four wheeler. And I don't know if that's like a simple generic answer or not, but I use it every single day. I have like a big basket on the back where I keep all my posts and I have like five reels of polywire. And then I have a big container on the front that I keep like fencing pliers and alligator clips and um, fence handles and, you know, my camera or, or whatnot. Uh, and I use it to pull around my mineral feeder. My dog rides on the back. It's, you know, it's just <laughs> something that I use every single day. And I've worked on farms in the past where I didn't always get to the, ac the access of a four-wheeler. And so I had to walk in some fences. And I know I lost a lot of weight those summers <laughs> because I did a lot of walking. <laughs> but it just makes it so much easier to have all that equipment with you. My dad uses a mule, which he uses. He likes that far better than the four-wheeler. I like the four-wheeler, but... Excellent choice. We have a mule that we use, but I see so many people using a four-wheeler. Um, it makes me wonder if I need one. My wife says, no, I don't. They're kind but... of fun. <laughs> yeah. What would you tell someone just getting started on their grass journey or thinking about becoming a grass farmer? Um, I guess there might be a couple things I would tell them. First, I would probably tell them you know, if I was speaking to myself when I was 19 again, I would say, Becky, you got to be patient. <laughs> this might take a little longer than you want it to. Um, you know, I'm still not the place that I want to be at currently, but it's like you said, it's a journey and I'm enjoying every moment of it. And it does sometimes take longer to kind of get into the swing of things and get things to build, uh, but just stay patient um, and be observant. I think that's one of the biggest things a lot of I hear a lot of people talk about that, like slow down and observe your surroundings, you know, what forages are growing at what time of year, what, you know, what cycle are they on? What kind of birds are out? What are the cattle looking like? What's their body condition score? What are their calves looking like? Are they slicked up? How many flies they got? What are the manure pats looking like? What about the dung beetles? There's so many things to slow down and watch. And I've learned so much by just slowing down. And sometimes I feel stupid. I'm like, I'm sitting here for like 20 or 30 minutes watching cows. And, but I feel like I should be doing things. Like I'm not going, I need to keep going and doing things. But at the same time, you learn so much by just observing. And, um, and then lastly, I think I would say if, if you haven't started your journey yet, but are thinking about it, I would highly recommend either volunteering on a farm or interning or actually getting a farm job and trying that out for a little while before you jump into buying something or leasing something or, or going down that um, investment intensive route. I've worked on grass dairies, conventional dairies, uh, grass beef operations, other conventional beef operations. Um, and have just learned so much. The insight that these other farmers have is very valuable. Even though some of the practices aren't what I do on my farm or aren't what I wanted to do, I still learned a lot and I got to 
see their their mental process and their mindset and why they were doing things they they were doing and i gained a lot of great skills over the years from these farmers that i've worked for um so i would highly recommend just putting in some time before you jump into it because farming isn't for everyone and it's best to to experience it uh before you go down that route yes excellent advice make sure it's something you love doing and and i say that you're not going to love every day but is it enjoyable? That's right. <laughs> Where can others find out more about you and your operation? So there's a few places that folks can find me. First of all, um, my website is probably the easiest way to find me. It's mountainglenfarm.com. And you can kind of go through the website. I've got some blogs. I've got some videos. I've got um, just things we're doing on the farm. There's a little contact page if you want to drop me a line. Um, you can reach out to me that way. You can reach out to me by email, mountainglenfarm at gmail.com. Um, if you're in the social media world, I'm in Facebook, Mountain Glen Farm on Facebook. I make it super easy to remember, Mountain Glen Farm. Very um, good. And then if you are on YouTube and you're a YouTube person, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mountain Glen Farm, where I have uh, just some sometimes random videos, sometimes educational videos, um, different practices and what I'm experiencing on my farm and how I think about them and all that good stuff. So I'm always here and open for people reaching out or giving insight and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah. Very good. And we'll post those links in our show notes for everyone. Becky, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing about what you're doing at Mountain Glen Farm. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I so enjoyed it today. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers, where every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. You can find the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is available if you're not using a podcast app. You can listen at our website, grazinggrass.com. We encourage you to leave a rating for us. Also share any episodes you find useful with other people that may find them useful. We appreciate you sharing about our podcast and getting the word out. Also on the website, you can ask your question. And I'd like to say thank you to everyone who submitted their questions. We are working to get them answered for you and have a couple shows planned that should take care of most of them. And lastly, are you a grass farmer? Are you interested in sharing your journey? Go to the grazing grass dog. Ooh, go to the grazinggrass.com website and click on be our guest. And it has a little bit more information and a form you can fill out to be a guest on our podcast. Once it's submitted, we'll be in touch. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form, 
and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.